Navigator of the Stars. The excitement which this caused, not only in America but over the whole civilized world, by the arrival of the astronaut from the distant regions of space to which she had soared, the marriage of her creator to the daughter of her inventor in the main saloon while she hung motionless in a cloudless sky a mile above the Empire City, their return to Earth, the wedding banquet, and their departure to the moon which they had selected as the first stopping place on their bridal trip, these are now matters of common knowledge. The present series of narratives begins as the earth sinks away from under them, and their honeymoon in space has actually begun. A Visit to the Moon When the astronef rose from the ground to commence her marvellous voyage through the hitherto untraversed realms of space, Lord Redgrave and his bride were standing at the forward end of a raised deck which ran along about two-thirds of the length of the cylindrical body of the vessel. The walls of this compartment, which was about fifty feet long by twenty broad, were formed of thick but perfectly transparent toughened glass, over which, in cases of necessity, curtains of ribbed steel could be drawn from the floor which was of teak and slightly convex. A light steel rail ran round it, and two stairways ran up from the other deck of the vessel to two hatches, one fore and one aft, destined to be hermetically closed when the astronef had soared beyond breathable atmosphere and was crossing the airless, heatless wastes of interplanetary space. Lord and Lady Redgrave and Andrew Murgatroyd were the only members of the crew of the Star Navigator. No more were needed for on board this marvellous craft nearly everything was done by machinery—warming, lighting, cooking, distillation and redistillation of water, constant and automatic purification of the air—everything, in fact, but the regulation of the mysterious R-force could be done with a minimum of human attention. This, however, had to be minutely and carefully regulated, and her commander usually performed this duty himself. The developing engines were in the lowest part of the vessel amidships. Their minimum power just sufficed to make the astronef a little lighter than her own bulk of air, so that when she visited a planet possessing an atmosphere sufficiently dense, the two propellers at her stern would be capable of driving her through the air at the rate of about a hundred miles an hour. The maximum power would have sufficed to hurl the vessel beyond the limits of the Earth's atmosphere in a few minutes. When they had risen to the height of about a mile above New York, her ladyship, who had been gazing in silent wonder and admiration at the strange and marvellous scene, pointed suddenly toward the east and said, Look, there's the moon. Just fancy, our first stopping place. Well, it doesn't look so very far off at present. Redgrave turned and saw the pale yellow crescent of the new moon just rising above the eastern edge of the Atlantic Ocean. It almost looks as if we could steer straight to it, right over the water. Only, of course, it wouldn't wait there for us, she went on. Oh, it'll be there when we want it, never fear, laughed his lordship. And after all, it's only a mere matter of about 240,000 miles away. And what's that in a trip that will cover hundreds of millions? It'll just be a sort of jumping-off place into space for us. Still, I shouldn't like to miss seeing it, she said. I want to know what there is on that other side which nobody has ever seen yet, and settle that question about air and water. 
Wouldn't it be just heavenly to be able to come back and tell them all about it at home? <laughs> Fancy me talking stuff like this where we are going perhaps to solve some of the hidden mysteries of creation and maybe to look upon things that human eyes were never meant to see, she went on, with a sudden change in her voice. He felt a little shiver in the arm that was resting upon his, and his hand went down and caught hers. Well, we shall see a good many marvels, and perhaps miracles, before we come back. But I hardly think we shall see anything that is forbidden. Still, there's one thing we shall do, I hope. We shall solve once and for all the great problem of the worlds, whether they are inhabited or not. Oh, by the way, he went on, I may remind your ladyship that you are just now drawing the last breaths of earthly air which we'll taste for some time, in fact, until we get back. You may as well take your last look at earth as earth, for the next time you see it, it'll be a planet. She went to the rail and looked over into the enormous void beneath.